Amen. You may be seated. If you would bow with me in prayer and then we're going to look at that passage in Luke together. Lord, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you for this time. Uh, We thank you that we can gather together as your people. Uh, We thank you that you tell us you you meet us in these times. We thank you that uh, we have direct access to you, that we can come to you in prayer, that we can lift our praises, uh, that we can join our voices together. Uh, We just ask that as we spend this time today, that you would be our teacher, that you would be the one that leads and guides us in all things. Uh, We just confess that uh, as we just sang, we need you. Uh, We we ask you that you would be our vision, that you would be the thing that we are focused on, that we are seeing clearly today. And we cannot do that on our own. And so we ask that the spirit would be in this place, that you would be moving, that you would be active, that you'd be teaching us, that you'd be taking the eternal truths of your word and applying them to our hearts and our minds, that we would leave here having seen you more clearly. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, I want to start with just talking about two different people. And I realize uh, the, the two names I'm going to throw out. Some of you will know who I'm talking about and some of you will have no idea who I'm talking about. So I will tell you who they are. Uh, the first is a is a guy named Kirk Franklin. If you've ever heard of Kirk Franklin, he is a gospel singer. Uh, he's been making albums. I, I read uh, the other day for 25 years. He's won several Grammys, sold millions of albums. Uh, the little bit I know about Kirk Franklin, I don't know a lot about him. But I've heard him in interviews at different times, and I believe from what I've heard him say and the music he makes that he really loves the Lord. Uh, He he talks greatly about giving glory to God in everything and how much he loves Jesus and wants to make much of Jesus and what he sings and what he does. And so, like I said, I don't know a whole lot about him, but when I've heard him talk, I've been impressed with his humility, uh, with how quick he is to praise God and the gifts he's given him and the music that he sought to make. And so that's a little bit I know about Kurt Franklin. I think he even just won a Grammy this year for one of his albums. And so he's he's done well in the genre of the music that he's in. Uh, the second name that I'm going to throw out at you is Kanye West. Uh, if you don't know who Kanye West is, he's a rapper. Uh, he's a, a musician. He, he's actually a very successful rapper. Uh, uh, I looked it up this week. He sold 80 million albums, 80 million he sold. And so if you know anything about Kanye West, the way he puts himself across, I don't know him personally, but just his persona, it's kind of the opposite of Kirk Franklin. (laughs) He's very brash. He's he's kind of arrogant. He likes to tell you how great he is. Uh, He he regularly says things like, uh, if the Bible was written today, I'd be one of the main characters in it. Uh, That's kind of the way Kanye West is, if you don't know anything about him. Uh, he, He interrupted another artist getting a Grammy Award. Uh, to proclaim to everybody they didn't really deserve the award. And that's kind of the way he is. That's just kind of the way uh, he goes about things. Uh, his music, he's uh, a very talented musician. His lyrics, the things he says, uh, very, uh, how to say it, play, profane. <laughs> he, he, that's kind of the way he is. Um, and so about a year and a half ago, Kanye West asked Kirk Franklin to be on his album, asked him to contribute to one of the songs beyond the album, and he said yes. And they spent time together. He was on his album. They also performed together at different times. And what happened is a lot of people claiming to be Christians just blasted Kirk Franklin. How can you spend time with this guy? How can you be on his album? 
how dare you do that? Why would you do that? That kind of thing, that sort of thing. And so Kirk Franklin's response to that is, is I want to spend time with people, whether they're close to God or far from God. And that's the way I see this. I was very impressed with his response. And so that to say whether or not Kirk Franklin should be on Kanye West's album or what that looks like, I'm not going to tell you that answer. I don't know the answer. I don't know exactly where do we draw the line on on what that looks like and what's honoring to God and what's not. But I want you just to wrestle with that thought a little bit. Maybe what's your response when you hear that? And these two guys and one guy seeks to honor God and all that he does. And then all of a sudden he says, yeah, I'll be on your album. Where do we draw the line and engagement in our culture? What does that look like? Uh, what uh, when when those things come up, do we step into those or, or where is the line where we say we're we're maybe condoning something that's not good? Or where is the line that we want to bridge those gaps and where are they? I, I don't know the answer to all of those, to be honest. I think a lot of times uh, it's not a clear cut line of, of where we engage and where we don't. Um, but what I want us to think about today, and I start there telling that about Kurt Franklin and his relationship with Kanye West. And that you may never have heard of those guys, but a lot of people seem to be upset by that when he did that. And so where do we step in and where do we engage? And so what I want us to think about is is what Jesus says on this subject in kind of this area. And I think what we're going to look at in this story, this parable that Jesus tells and the context in which he tells it helps us to kind of think through these things, to understand where we should engage, where we should step into those relationships and what that looks like. And so we're going to look at a, a, a parable today that, that Luke read for us just a second ago. And if you were listening to it, is, is, is uh, Jesus tells this parable, which often is, is referred to as the unjust manager or the dishonest manager. And you get to the end of the story and then Jesus uh, commends the guy. And, and you go, wait, what? He, he just told you the story of this guy and all this stuff and, and what he's doing poorly. And then he commends him at the end. And, and it raises a lot of questions about what exactly is Jesus teaching us. And so what we've been doing in this series the last several weeks is we've been looking at these different interactions that Jesus has and who he's talking to and the context of what's going on. And we're trying to draw out what Jesus is getting at in these different interactions. And what we've seen is these interactions in which uh, very contentious and we see Jesus being gracious and kind and speaking truth into those. But also what I've been trying to do, kind of the subtext of our whole series is been trying to draw out some of those things that we often miss. Some of the things culturally that we don't quite understand what's going on, which can lead us to some bad teaching or missing what Jesus is saying altogether. And I think this passage is one of those. It's a difficult passage with some of the stuff Jesus says in it. It's easy to read it and be like, what in the world is he commending this dishonest guy for anyway? And so I want us to walk through that together. And I think as we do, we're going to get some hopefully some clarity on where do we engage and what does that look like and where do we draw lines and how we go forth with the gospel and proclaiming the good news of who God is and what he's done. And so we're going to look at that real simply. We're going to do this just the way we've done the last couple of weeks. First, we're just going to look at this story together. And as we walk through it together, I'm going to try to draw out some things that maybe we miss culturally. Oftentimes, some of these passages can become difficult because of the space of, of time and culture, different culture and a different time that Jesus is speaking into. And so sometimes it becomes a little obscure to us. And so we want to kind of draw some of those out. And then we're just going to ask, what is Jesus teaching us about who God is? And then lastly, how do we live in light of that? And so 
Let's look at this story together. But let me give you context of it before we even jump in. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16. But if you look across the page, if you open there to, to Luke 16, across the page, to the beginning of Luke chapter 15, at the very beginning, it kind of tells us the context of what's going on. Uh, there's two verses there that tell us. And it says this, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus. And he says, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. And so they're grumbling with about who Jesus is spending time with and who he's giving his time to. Uh, one of the things that we may sometimes miss when we read this, I, I don't think it's that obscure. It's, it's pretty easy to see, but I want to at least point it out. In, in verse two there of chapter 15, it says they were grumbling because this man receives sinners and he eats with them. And, and just that phrase there of and he eats with them is really saying that Jesus offers friendship to those farthest from God or furthest from God. The idea of eating or sharing a meal together in the Middle East at this time was an extension or extending friendship to a person. It's kind of like inviting somebody over to your house, inviting them into your home today. Similar idea. But that's what they were grumbling about. Not only does he preach and he goes to these places and he says these things to all people, he actually invites them in and he sits down and he shares a meal with them. And so they're attacking this idea to which Jesus will then tell these series of parables. He'll tell in, ver in chapter 15, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, both very similar. A woman loses a coin and then turns her house upside down to find it. Uh, the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one wayward sheep. Then he tells the parable of the prodigal son about a young man who turns his back on his family and walks away. And when he finally hits bottom and he comes home, the father welcomes him with open arms. And Jesus is correcting this misunderstanding that we don't be friends with these people over here. It's the same thing that we see him doing in the parables and the teachings and the interactions we've looked at the last few weeks. If you remember, as we've been looking the last few weeks, we looked at uh, Jesus being invited into Simon's home. Simon was one of the Pharisees. And the woman comes and begins to wash his feet with her tears. And it turns out from the context, Luke tells us it's a prostitute. And Simon says, if he knew who that was, he wouldn't let her touch him like this. And Jesus says, I have a story to tell you, Simon. And he tells the story that says that we're all debtors. We're all sinners. We're all in need of God's grace. He does the same thing in John 8 that we looked at two weeks ago. The woman caught in adultery and they bring her and they throw him at his feet and they say, we have to stone her because that's what the law of Moses says. And Jesus tells them, you who are without sin can cast the first stone. And again, he makes the, the, the uh, point very clearly that we're all sinners. We're all in need of God's grace. We're all in need of God's mercy in our life. And here we have again the same thing over again. Why is he eating with those people? That idea of those people, that that idea right there is a misunderstanding that we all desperately need God's grace in our life. And so Jesus is talking or speaking or telling these stories into that context. And so I would say to you, I think the beginning of chapter 16 is the same context. Jesus tells three parables in chapter 15. And in the beginning of chapter 16, it says he also said to the disciples and then he tells this story. And so I think that's the context that we're looking into. 
So let's look at what he says. Look at the story he tells, beginning in verse one of chapter 16. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. And so stop right there for just a second. Again, background culturally, what Jesus is telling them, his audience would have known exactly what he was talking about as he starts this story. As he starts to talk about this manager and how he's taking advantage and what he's doing. And so now he's firing most of the people in Jesus audience would have known what it's like to not own their own land, to be dependent on other people, to be struggling financially. And so the idea of this manager who comes and is, is wasting the wealth and taking care of it, by the time they get to verse three and this guy, it's dawned on him that he's getting fired and he might have to dig but he's not strong enough. He might have to beg, but he's too embarrassed to beg. Most of the audience probably would have been laughing. They'd have been going, that's right. He's getting what his, he deserves. Right? There would have been part of that. Like they would, have, they would have understood what Jesus was saying. Yeah, that's right. They would have lived in that world and that understanding of living uh, uh, hand to mouth, struggling to make ends meet. And when they hear about a dishonest manager, they would have quickly uh, uh, understood what it's like living under that. But there's also an important background that we need to understand. And that's when the, the manager tells him you're going to be fired. You've been misusing and now you're going to get fired. And then in verse three, he immediately goes to his plan of what he's going to do next. Well, you don't hear him object at all. That's, that's very rare for this time. Normally, if you were getting fired, what would end up happening? It would go into days of negotiation, arbitration on kind of what your severance would be. It'd be a back and forth kind of thing. That's the way the culture worked. And so if you're getting fired, kind of like getting a severance package today, uh, going through some sort of uh, back and forth with what that would look like. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't go into any of that. And the way Jesus tells the story leads commentators to believe that this guy's guilty and he knows it. He's guilty enough that he's not even going to say, but I deserve this or I deserve that. He just quickly goes to, OK, how am I going to survive now? But then that also leads us to the fact that that the manager says, I'm going to fire you. I'm taking this away from you. But that he's extremely gracious and not putting him into jail. If he is dishonest. And he knows it and he's guilty and he immediately is not even going to talk back or try to make his case. The fact that the manager's not throwing him into jail is incredibly gracious on his part. Right? So that's just kind of some background to the story and what's happening. So look what happens next is it's dawning on this guy's getting fired. I have decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said, take, he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. And so he goes and he starts to kind of play out this plan. And it's pretty ingenious when we start to see the fullness of what he's doing before everybody knows that he's been fired. He starts going to all the people that owe his master money and then he starts to cut deals with them. 
Instead of paying the full 100 that you owe, just give me 50. Now, who who owes the debt of 100 and gets this presented to them is going to go, no, no, no. They go, yeah, quickly, I will do that. Great, thank you. It'd be like your bank calling you and saying, hey, you have an outstanding loan of $100,000 on your mortgage. What if we were to make it 50000 today? You go, All right, great. That would be fantastic. And so that's what he starts to do. And he does it over and over and over again. Commentators have pointed out that he, he welcomes or he goes to these people one by one so that they're not in the same room together going, what's going on? This is a little fishy. He goes to them one by one and he does this over and over and over again. And the way Jesus tells the story, he tells us that he's doing this in verse four so that these people may receive me into their houses. He's trying to butter them up that they'll be friends with him because he's going to be out on the street in just a few days. And he's like, well, this will be good. Right. When I'm out on the street, I can go to them and go, hey, remember when I cut your bill by 50 percent? And so he's, he's looking out for himself. He's doing that. He's seeking to get his way in. And so he begins to do that. And so you would see uh, the crowd listening to this story and kind of laughing along to it and look at how desperate this guy and look at what's happening. And then all of a sudden you get to verse eight. And it says the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And you go, wait, what? And you could even see the crowd kind of doing that, laughing along at this guy and his misfortune. And now he's getting what's coming to him. And then all of a sudden the the master says, uh, commends him for his shrewdness. And then Jesus says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in the dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And it kind of leaves you scratching your head a little bit. It seems like Jesus is saying, way to go. Way to use dishonest means to look out for yourself. And it kind of makes you go, what in the world is going on in this story? Is Jesus commending unfair practices? Is he saying it's okay to take advantage of people? Is it okay to do that? No, I don't think so. I don't think it is. And so the question becomes, what is it that Jesus is telling them? So I want you to think through this story with me. First, what happens? What the position has this guy put the manager in? Uh, The manager put the, the landowner in. I want you to think about that for just a second. He goes and he cuts all these bills. Everybody in the town gives him a huge break. What would happen in that town as word gets out? They go, oh, Did you hear what he did? He cut our bill in half. It would have been a party. People would have been so excited. And so this is great. It's like we all just got a great big bonus at once, everybody. And so it would have been very exciting. Now, what happens if the manager or the guy, the owner, goes to everyone and he says, no, 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 that's not the case. I fired him yesterday. He didn't have the authority to do it. You still owe all of it. What would happen? It'd be upset. It'd be even worse. Right? You thought you got this great break and then all of a sudden you found out you don't. It's kind of like when you're doing your taxes. You ever used, I use TurboTax. And you plug everything in and you think I'm going to get a, a refund and then you start to do all of it and then all of a sudden you see the numbers start to change. You're like, oh no, I owe money. It's awful. It's almost worse. It would have been better if you started out that way. And I think that's the picture of what would happen here. And so he's put his owner in this precarious position of what do I do? What would I do? And so it says that the owner, and we know from the beginning, he's a very gracious man. He commends him for his shrewdness. And so it still leads to the question of like, 
what is Jesus teaching us? What is he telling us here and doing that? And so I want you to think deeply about the context and what Jesus is speaking into and what he's saying. Remember, the beginning of this is they're looking down on certain people that you don't spend time with. You you don't go there. And then Jesus tells the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep and then the prodigal son. I mean, think about the story of the prodigal son. The son comes home and the father welcomes him with open arms. Right. It, It magnifies the grace of God. And there the older brother is standing there going, you can't do that. I've been here the whole time. How dare you let him come back? And so we see that juxtaposition in the prodigal son of the younger son coming back and the older son being really upset. How dare we do that? And I think we see clearly in the prodigal son that the older son is the religious leaders looking down on those people. How dare he eat with those people? Remember, that's the context of this story. And so it leads me to see or or think through as I'm as I'm thinking about the story. Who is Jesus addressing Who are the players in the the parable that he tells here? Almost always in Scripture, when you have the master and then the manager of the master's stuff, almost always the master is God and the manager is Israel. It's it's God's people that, that are there to be a light and show what the master is like. I mean, that's what God was doing with the with the nation of Israel. He tells them as he chooses them from the beginning. I'm not choosing you because of anything uh, special in you. I'm choosing you to be a light to show what I'm like to the world. That was what they were supposed to do. But what happened over time was they started to go, look at us. We're the chosen ones. Look at us. God chose us. Look at us. It's all about us. And so what happened over time is they became more and more inwardly focused They became more and more arrogant about who they were. They became more and more uh, concerned about drawing lines in the sand and saying those people are out and these people are in and we're going to be about this. And how dare you spend time with those people over there? And so what they did and in their uh, efforts and, and, and oftentimes we give the Pharisees a really bad name. We go, man, these guys are awful. And they were in a lot of ways. They were missing it in a lot of ways. But the good of the Pharisees is they were desperately trying to hold on to the holiness of God. We can't let these people in because that would what would that do to to God's name? And so it's not all bad. But what they did in trying to do so is they just kept adding more and more and more rules, more and more things, draw more and more lines in the sand that you can't ever cross, because if you do, we're going to somehow profane the name of God. And so they did that over and over and over and over and over again. And then Jesus shows up and he goes, I'm going to think I'm going to go right over your line that you drew. And I'm going to go sit down over here and spend time with these people. And they all went, oh, you can't do that. Don't you know, we drew a line that you can't go cross. And Jesus goes, "Ah, all right, see ya. I'm going to go spend time with these people. And he does this over and over and over again. And so when I read this story and he's talking about the master with his dishonest manager, I think he's speaking directly to those religious leaders of the day, the Israelites that are misrepresenting who God is. And he's speaking right to them and he's showing them what God's like, that here they had added all these laws and all these regulations and they'd grown inward and inward and who's in and who's out and all this stuff. And then Jesus comes and begins to blow it apart. 
So why does he commend the guy? Why does he commend the unjust guy that goes and begins to to cut the prices and slash them and make friends with everybody? I think Jesus is showing us what he's commending here is being welcoming. Being kind and gracious about crossing those lines and loving people and meeting them where they are. And he's showing us what that looks like. Instead of adding more and more regulations and more and more things, he's giving us an invitation to love people who are far from God and use all the creativity and resources and everything we have to do so. Instead of continuing to to go about it and misrepresenting who God is, go and love them and meet them where they are. Instead of unnecessary roadblocks to loving people who far from God, he's giving them an encouragement to use all that you have to meet them where they are. And when you read that and you see the picture that there's an important part of this whole story that it either falls on, the guy's whole plan falls apart or it doesn't. I don't know if you catch that at the beginning. But think about this story. He goes and he slashes all the debts. And he says, the master is going to only require this. And this is what it looks like. What happens to his plan if the master goes, "Uh uh-uh, I fired you and you still owe me. And this is what happens. What happens if that's what the master does? What happens to this dishonest manager? Is anybody going to welcome him into their house after that? He gets their hopes up. Tells them you only owe half and then, oh, never mind. Yes, you do. So his entire plan, everything he does hinges on this fact that he knows his master to be gracious and he bets everything on the grace of the master. All of it. And Jesus tells us that I commend him for his shrewdness. And I think the picture that you see is that Jesus is telling you without a doubt, when you're not sure where the line is or where you step over or where do you go to people, you bet on that God is gracious. That he loves people, that he's calling people to himself. And so often we don't want to do that. So often we want to draw lines and say, those are out and those are in and that's it. And it's a neat little box that we can stay inside of. And I think the problem is that we make it all about what we do and how good of a person I am. And I can see them as bad and me as good. And what happens is we're no longer professing that God is gracious. Every story that he tells over and over and over again. This guy goes out and wastes all his money, the prodigal son. And what does Jesus say? This is what the father's like. He sees him come over the hill and he runs to meet him. And he meets him where he is and he loves him. And I think Jesus is showing us that picture. He's not commending being dishonest. He's not commending uh, taking advantage of people. He's commending betting on the master is gracious. And so the picture here of tearing down these walls and extending grace and meeting people where they are. Now, I want to be careful as we think about how do we live in light of that teaching? I'm not telling you that we don't care about the holiness of God. 
I'm not telling you, and Jesus certainly never says this. We're not saying that now you can just do whatever and go whatever and everything's great and it doesn't matter. You don't see Jesus doing that. You see him meeting people where they are and loving them and spending time with them, but then calling them to repentance. Then speaking the truth in love. And it's both and. We don't throw one out the door for the other. But what we do see Jesus doing is going to where the people are over and over again. And so what I see right now, even in our country, it's so divided in all these ways. And we draw all these lines and this is good and this is bad and this is in and this is out and all those things. And so what I'd say to you when we start to think about how do we live in light of this? Are the lines that we drawing the lines that Jesus draws or are they lines that we've made up? Are they lines that we've drawn because uh, I have certain opinions and feelings about these things and I think this is good and this is out? Or is it the things that Scripture actually tell us? Can you go and spend time with people who are far from God and it's not condoning their behavior, but just loving them where they are and then speaking the truth into that? And I think you see Jesus show us that over and over and over again. And so when we start to think about what that looks like, and I want to be sensitive if you go, but, but I want to, I desire to honor God's name. And I desire holiness in my life. And I'd say, amen. Please do that. Seek God on what it looks like and where you go and where you give your time and who you spend it with. But also know that God is incredibly gracious and kind and patient and long-suffering. When I ask that question of where do I go and who do I spend time with and how much can I step into these different areas and these different things, I always come back to this. How has God dealt with me? Dead in my trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy has caused me to become alive. When I turn and I continue to sin or I walk from Him, God continues to pursue me. So extending the grace that I've received, what does that look like? I think it means pursuing people and loving them and meeting them where they are. Using all the uh, creativity God's given you, using all the gifts, all the resources to love people and show them what God is like. And Jesus emphatically says here that God is gracious. And he's kind. And he's loving And I see this story and I hear Jesus telling it and all those people kind of nodding along and thinking of him. And then he says, and the master commended him for his shrewdness. What? I think Jesus is saying, when you're in doubt, you bet on that God is so gracious and he's so loving. N.T. Wright in this commentary on Luke says it this way. He says, Jesus advises us to sit light to the extra regulations that we impose on one another, not least in the church, which are over and above the gospel itself. Hear what he's saying? So I think Jesus is telling us to quit adding a bunch of rules that God didn't have. To focus on the picture of who God is and what it looks like and what he calls us to. And then he goes on to say, perhaps we should learn to think unconventionally. To be prepared to make new friends across traditional barriers. To throw caution to the wind and discover again in the true fellowship of the gospel. What would that look like? 
You know, I said at the beginning when we started this series that we're in this time in our country where people seem so divided and so entrenched and so fighting over so many things. And I told you, this is a wonderful time for the church to be a bright light in the middle of that. And so I just want to leave you with this idea that we need to hold to every day in the way we deal with people, in the way we love them, in the way we walk with them. God's grace changes us. I really believe that when I see my life and my sanctification and changing and wanting to honor him more and more, it's because I've seen how clearly he is gracious and loving to me. It's what changes our hearts. And so when we deal with people who are far from God, who don't understand that, that are struggling, that are wrestling with those things, we have an opportunity to truly be gracious to them. To love them, to meet them where they are, to show them what God's like in the way that we care and love for them. And God uses that to change their hearts. As we proclaim the gospel. And he begins to change us. And so often we forget that and we go, no, 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 I'm just going to let them have it. I'm going to let them know the law of God. I'm going to let them know the rules. I'm going to know where they're out. And we forget the part that we get to love them and show them the grace that God's given us. I think Jesus commends that very thing here. You overflow with grace and you show people what the manager's like or the owner's like. Oh, that we would do that. Oh, that we'd be a people that would be so drenching in the grace of God in our life that it would overflow to every person we come into contact with. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your incredible grace and mercy to us. That even when we do this so poorly, even when we want to draw lines and tell people how far away they are and and we want to make it about our works and what we do, that you're still gracious to us. That you still show us and you still meet us in the midst of that. How I pray that we would be a people like that. That we would show people what you're like. That we'd be gracious and kind and long-suffering. That we'd be patient to listen and care and walk with people. That we would enter into doubts and frustrations and struggles and just love them in the midst of that and continue to show them what a good and loving God that you are. We thank you that you save us by no doing of our own, that it's completely your grace. And for that, we can just simply say thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.